Salt Lake City especially is fascinating, and Utah is becoming more fascinating. It really is a situation of very dominant culture, which breeds strong counterculture. And so Mm. in this weird soil of Salt Lake City, where you have a dying, decaying regime, Mormonism, I think that a group of ex-Mormons really is going to make a big impact on the United States, maybe even the world, in drugs and sex. The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak. They talk to you. They will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Psilocybin Says. I'm your host for this show, Eric Osborne. You're going to be listening to a really wonderful conversation between myself and Steve Urquhart. Steve is the founder of the Divine Assembly Psilocybin Church. The Divine Assembly is primarily geared towards ex-Mormons, but it's open to everybody. They recently had an incredible article written about them in the Rolling Stone. I'll put a link to that article in the podcast notes and really encourage you to go give it a read. Steve gets very in-depth with his history and the creation of this church, which he does to a certain extent in this podcast. But I wanted to leave some of that minutia out so that you could go read the article for yourself. And here we get more of a direct personal account and his personal philosophy around churches and mushrooms and all that intersection I've worked with a lot of uh, recovering Mormons and Catholics like myself with psilocybin, and it's an interesting position we find ourselves in as, uh, yep, it's hard for me to say it, but religious leaders who are using psilocybin in particular to practice our faith and to recover from traumatizing experiences that we were subjected to in our childhood fades. It's an interesting time, folks. (laughs) I never thought I would see this day, quite honestly. And what's even more valuable and joyful and impressive to me about the work that we're doing with these churches is that we get to work together. You know, I spent seven years working in a for-profit retreat psilocybin retreat in Jamaica that I founded. I did that because I didn't really know how to practice um, without getting arrested again, (laughs) which did happen in 2015 for working with psilocybin. And so I went to Jamaica and started this company and mm, it not too, (laughs) not too slowly Uh, started to morph into something that I really didn't envision. It has always been challenging for me to charge the types of prices that retreats uh, and such organizations charge for their services. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of work that goes into these retreats. And people deserve to get paid well for working as hard as they do. But there's just something about this that didn't sit 
right with me, and I think what it is, I know what it is, is that this is my spiritual practice, and it has been since the beginning, since I first encountered the mushroom, I realized this is what the Catholics were pointing to, at least that was my interpretation. You are 100% free to have your own. And so when we left that world of the for-profit psychedelic um, therapy or wellness, if you will, and came up here and started working on Sanctuary very quickly. It started feeling a whole lot better. And it's just gotten better and better all the time. Because as you will hear Steve and I talk about, the foundation of a church is the community. I mean, the sacrament is uh, what our existence hinges upon. But the community that forms around that sacrament is where the real magic happens. And that's where the long-term benefit, long-term personal value really comes from. Now, I know that many of you listening to this have seen or heard or read the reports about the miraculous benefits of psilocybin mushrooms, and I have seen them at work. I have seen hundreds of lives saved. I have seen individuals go in one person and come out a completely different person. But even in those scenarios, it's very seldom for the change to stick without ongoing community support. And that was the gaping hole left in our work in Jamaica. Not sure what they're doing now. I'm not criticizing anybody. Big up Myco Meditations, everybody that's doing psilocybin retreats, everybody that's, that's promoting and helping psychedelics become normalized. Congratulate yourselves. I'm so thankful for you. But I am exceedingly thankful for this rapidly growing community that we're building at Sanctuary that is already spreading across the United States more quickly and more beautifully than I could ever imagine. The Divine Assembly is doing the same. There are many other smaller churches that are starting to um, make themselves known, and I am so confident that the churches are going to have an enormous impact on the acceptability, accessibility, uh, and the just general growth of psychedelic culture. I have a feeling we're going to change the way psychedelic culture is perceived, not just among those new to psychedelics, but those practitioners who have been approaching it from a more Western therapeutic perspective. This is a spiritual experience, friends. The research shows that clearly, and <laughs> the more you consume the mushroom, the more easy that is to see. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It should give you some food for thought, and you can look forward to some really powerful collaborations coming between the Divine Assembly and Sanctuary in the future. We're already having some powerful conversations about what our collaboration could look like to provide more access, more safety, and more support to more and more people who want to engage with psilocybin for their spiritual and personal growth. Please don't forget to share this podcast. This episode might be one of the more valuable ones to spread out there. Also, I would sure appreciate if you go out and give us a five-star rating on the old iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is you're listening to your podcast. Even better still, Make a comment, say something, tell people what you like about this show. And if there are criticisms, you can give those too. You can give us a two-star rating. It's fine. I won't mean it. It's fine. I won't be super excited about it. But 
We want real and authentic feedback so we can make this show better and better all the time. So thanks as always for listening, and I will see you on the other side of the shroom. Welcome to Civil Seven Says, Steve. Unfortunately, Courtney couldn't be here. We had a sick kid, and she and I have been such a team in all this, and it's been really wonderful working the podcast with her. And I gather that you have a similar experience with your wife as well as founder of the church? Yeah, yeah. First, tell me how many babies do you have? How old are they? <laughs> uh, I have four in total, two from previous marriages and two from uh, with Courtney. And the they're 19, 12, Theo is five, and Ananda is 18 months, 17 months. Oh, my, you are busy. Yeah, yeah, we're busy. What about you? You got, you got kids, right? Yeah, so we have four babies, but uh, yeah, we're on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not quite in the blender like you. Um, yeah, we, our youngest is 22, and then they go up to 27. But yeah, four oh. of them. And so... Yeah, Sarah and I, we started doing psychedelics in 2017, January of 17. And uh, yeah, I came up with uh, the idea, the vision of starting a church. And um, Sarah is just a great implementer of all ideas. And so she's, you know, been dotting I's and crossing T's. Yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit about that dynamic. It's been really powerful for us. I'm curious, does, does that contribute? to the culture or the perception of your church, do you feel, being such a, in partnership with your wife around it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'd love to get into the, who's coming to your church, the kind of person. For us, um, you know, we get, we get a diversity, but I thought it would be younger and mm-hmm. uh, hipper. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, what we really get, we get, you know, maybe it's because Sarah and I are older, but we get, you know, median age is probably about our age. And uh, these are pretty quiet to themselves, nerdy people Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, and it makes sense, I guess, as I look back, it's people who just want to try psilocybin and maybe are a little bolder in life you know, they'll just do it. And so I think we're tending to get people who they like the protection of a church. They like the community aspect. And um, we just couldn't be more pleased with the, the community we're building. It's, it's, you know, a lot of people who like having quiet one-on-one conversations. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really what the, a church is all about anyway, right? The community aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I've been really pleasantly surprised with is how rapidly the community is growing, even without the sacrament necessarily. right? Yeah. And seeing how that really supports people in their growth. You know, I was even surprised back in Jamaica how many, quite honestly, we had a lot of senior citizens come down, you know, people in their late 60s, 70s. And I think what you're touching on, the you know, the courage that maybe comes with life experience right. and, and taking the risk, you know, not worrying about the stigma and the, the legal ramifications, et cetera. I have found more mature populations are more mature in their approach to the experience which seems to fit well within this kind of container. And we're starting to get some 20-somethings in the church. It's not that they're not sincere by any means, but there is a much more 
recreational approach. I'm, I'm interested to know the, the folks that are coming into your church, is this primarily coming in for a spiritual experience or is there a lot of attempt to recover from trauma or, you know, relief from depression, anxiety, or, or is it directly the spiritual aspect that they're coming for? Yeah, I would say not so much the spiritual. Um, okay. I think that they're coming in, like you say, to heal. They're coming in for community. You know, because we started in Salt Lake City, I am Mormon or, you know, was. We're getting a lot of people who've left that religion. So a very structured, formal, demanding religion where you really are stripped of your autonomy. And so mm-hmm. what we're getting, we're getting a lot of older people who they've hit a point in life and they're like, I just think there should be more. Mm-hmm. And so they, they like what it is we're throwing out to the world or they've read about us, heard about us, something like that. And then they look, then I, cause once you leave Mormonism, you typically don't go to another religion. You're just mm-hmm. like to hell with it all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, don't believe in God or anything. And a lot of people have the pathway I have where they feel the community they feel, and then they start to redefine worship. And mm-hmm. so for me, you know, you're, I think you're familiar with one tenet, which is you can commune directly with the divine and receive guidance. And mm-hmm. so that, that being the case, I think we don't need dogma and hierarchy, right? Yes. You and the divine can figure things out. And so I think people start to do that and they start to redefine worship. Mm-hmm. And the way I define it is connecting with myself, others, and the universe. And uh, so I think through those connections, through the healing, uh, a lot of people, they do. It's kind of fun to watch. They do start talking, thinking more about the divine, about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is out there beyond the normal. Yeah. I mean, I, d- I don't have a problem with people coming in for healing because that, like you're saying, I think generally serves as a pathway towards the, the spiritual experience, mm-hmm. right? Which in my perception, that's where the healing comes from anyway, is this reconnecting with the self, reconnecting with the divine. I loved in the article, you're uh, uh, allergic to dogma <laughs> quote. And I just felt reading that, that there were so many things that you and I had in common in terms of perspective and even upbringing. I was brought up Catholic, not Mormon, which isn't quite as culty, but it's still, it's still a fucking cult. Let's be real. Well, well because it's, it's a centuries old cult, but yeah, yeah in, <laughs> in ceremonies out here, it just, oh my, it just must be so av- aggravating for other people. Cause it's always Mormons and Catholics just talking about, <laughs> talking about the trauma that we carry, you know? Yeah, I've worked with a lot of Mormons, too. Uh, that yeah. that was a surprise to me in Jamaica, how many Mormons came to Jamaica specifically to get over their, their religious trauma, which is a, a bigger societal issue that I look forward to us addressing really up front as a culture. Yes. Yeah. When you talk about this relationship with the divine can can you share how within the experience with the mushroom you find that connection what what does that what's that really feel like and what's that experience like for you yeah so for me it's very much how michael pollan described it and how to change your mind quoting william james which one of america's great religious thinkers it is we encounter the divine in the mystic and mm-hmm. Uh, by definition, the divine is something 
extraordinary, non-ordinary. And so um, just for me, the very first time I entered that psychedelic space, um, well, you've been there. You know, probably everyone listening to this has been there. It was something unusual. It was something extraordinary. It was something magnificent and warm and interesting. And uh, what I think the divine is, and again, we do not have dogma, so people mm-hmm. can come up with that on their own. Mm-hmm. To me, it's all inside. It's, it's in my subconscious, which is part of the universe. It is mm-hmm. part of the divine. And this is how it manifests and how it manifests for me. And also part of it is a lot of life we do go through reactionary. What we knew before, well, that's what we're reacting to. And so, like I said, I had, I've had my spiritual autonomy and sovereignty stripped. Mm-hmm. Here is God. This is exactly what you will worship. This is exactly how you will worship if you don't. And here is the, the glorious hell that awaits you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just, maybe it's because I refuse to give that away anymore. But if I have extraordinary visions, well, ideas, whatever they are, oh, I give credit to myself for that. I give credit <laughs> to my subconscious that, wow, look what, look what my brain and soul just served up for me to see and, and, and deal with. That's beautiful. Well, what does your personal practice look like with with mushroom? You know, I wish I were a more disciplined person in all aspects of my life. <laughs> um, I just never have been, and uh, I think that <coughs> my religious practice reflects that. Um, it it sh- should be more methodical, but then again, everything in my life should be mm-hmm. more methodical. What I do is do some sort of meditation every day um, to try to get in touch again with self. I think of others. I think of the universe and am I connecting? Then I believe in putting it into practice. So, you know, if I've come up with things for myself, okay, how can I work on those? And then if I've had thoughts of others, how do I reach out to those people and connect with them? So I want it to, for me, it's a real hands-on sort of thing. And then in terms of the sacrament um, itself, I really don't take mushrooms that often anymore. Mm -hmm. Once every two months, something like that. Because what I'm finding is I'm able to enter that mystic space, that other space in new and different ways, including just wonderful conversations where, mm-hmm. you know, I just kind of get that feeling, I get that buzz going and all of a sudden the conversation is just headed in extraordinary directions. And, uh, I realize, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm kind of entering the mystic with this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that one of the beautiful things about the working with the sacrament is that it shows you or it, it grants us this experience and helps us to, I guess, get that touch point so that we can enter back in through other ways. It doesn't always have to be just through the mushroom. Um, right. But what a, what a powerful portal it is and seems to be the oldest doorway, if you will, that humanity has in access, accessing this mystical state. I'll definitely share the article um, in a link through the podcast, but I wonder if you want to share with our listeners just a little bit about how you 
came to the mushroom. You have a fascinating story coming from the government. Of right. I was a state uh, representative and then, and then a state senator for eight years. Okay, so 16 gotcha. years in the Utah legislature. Wow. And then now the founder of a psychedelic church. It's just really, really unique. Of course, there are a lot of folks who are working through addiction issues within the psychedelic community. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if you want to share that maybe with some of our listeners who aren't familiar with your story so far. Yeah, sure. So um, I uh, just had a mudded childhood. You know, my brother committed suicide when I was six. My parents just completely hated each other. And, um, you know, it was kind of a fraught situation. And then we joined Mormonism when I was 10. And uh, there were some good things that came of that. Uh, Good, sincere adults who cared about me and, and my brother um, good activities, but I think that really ended up just completely stepping on, stifling so much of my development. Um, mm-hmm. Moral ethical. Let's start there. If someone hands you the guide, here's what you're to do, and you just check boxes. Well, you don't develop your own moral ethical code, and we'll return to that <laughs> in in the story I'm telling now. Um, and it just, I think, it killed my. I was a very spiritual kid, and I think it killed spirituality. You know, mm-hmm. spirituality isn't something that happens inside someone else's box. And so, you know, like a lot of Mormons, I was I was high-flying on social things, and, you know, we are social people, and, you know, we, we have our shit together outwardly in a lot of ways. You know, mentally, we, I think, lead the, the world in Prozac, but... Um, you know, because there is a lot of internal trauma that comes with the doctrine. Mm-hmm. You, being a lapsed Catholic, can understand that. So I got to a point in life where you know I was doing some cool things in law. Uh, family really was great, and uh, doing the political stuff and performing at a high level on that. And then uh, you know I lost my faith, and that's tough in cultish religion like Mormonism because that's those are your relationships that's your life and mm-hmm. so I kind of kept that quiet <clears throat> and uh, you know if you're struggling anyone listening find people you talk with good people you mm-hmm. can talk with don't don't lone wolf it and so I uh, didn't know what to do so a lot of alcohol a lot of nasty drugs you know opioids affairs and attempted suicide and I just was really lost and just falling apart in every little aspect of my life. I wasn't opening mail, mail for like eight months at a time just because it scared me. And, um, you know, there was going to be something bad in there. Well, after not opening mail, for eight <laughs> months, there's bad shit in there. And uh, so then, you know, managed to get out of the legislature without public scandal because there could have easily been several by that point. I mean, I'd really was just absolutely falling apart at everything other than politics because politics being in the state Senate, it's its own fiction and it's, it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a heck of a fiction and what a fun game, you know? And so I dug into that and just everything else was falling apart. But on that stage I was performing, you know, and I was drunk and or stoned every single day the last three four years i was in there but you know you can you can mask you really can mask and um so i got out in 16 and so 
January of 17, um, right when the legislature would have been starting, uh, my wife and I went to Amsterdam. She had a conference that always would be that same week. And uh, she had sold that business. And, uh, you know, we love Amsterdam. We're just there to hang out so that we wouldn't miss these other things. And I kind of yelped us up a shaman and uh, we did ayahuasca and, you know, then uh, everything you and your listeners know, um, we started to find God, (laughs) started to find real meaning and purpose and healing and happiness and the great community that can come with psychedelics. That's a lot of me talking. Please, your listeners, I'm sure, know it. And, you know, people who go to your church, but what? They all know my story, I I do believe. Um, And, you know, happy that we can weave those together. I think that we cross paths, like I said, in the uh, messages that I feel like you you reached out to me when I was in Jamaica, like in, in 17 or something like that. I don't know. You know, it's interesting to see a lot of the individuals who are kind of been involved in this world and continue to come back in and support each other in different ways. And I feel like our two organizations are support to each other which is a beautiful concept to me coming out of the for-profit retreat wellness model. It is an enormous relief to be building this nonprofit community. Yeah. That's what it's really all about for me. That's what it really, what it was has always been about, but not knowing how to execute. I I actually started a church in 2015 right before I was arrested or I, I got on the board with a medical doctor up in Indiana who was forming a church Uh, But we hadn't really formalized our practice and I got arrested for mushrooms and didn't really have a viable religious protection uh, in place. And so that's when we moved or started going heavy into Jamaica because it seemed like the only option. I mean, this has been my thing for 20 something years now. Um, But what is, again, I keep coming back to more and more these days just is the power of community. You know, you said in the text, I think in the in the. Rolling Stone article said something like uh, community, the real medicine is community or something like that. I guess, can you share how you see that play out? Because that's something I'm really trying to impress on people when they come into sanctuary and want to be a part. You know, so many people are coming in because they just want access to healing. But what I try to help them understand from go is that the real healing is going to come through the community. So how, how are you seeing that play out within your community? Yeah. Um, So I tell the story when I was in fifth grade, I was a crossing guard on this one corner and I would just stand there and cry. And, you know, I'd look, wait, if, if students were coming, I'd dry my tears. Hey, how are you? Get them across the street. Then I'd just sob. I mean, cause I was so lost. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that is, I think I just didn't, I wasn't processing anymore at that point. Cause I'd found the truth. I had all the answers, mm-hmm. right? At 10 years old, I had all the answers. So, you know, and all those answers suggested I was wrong and everything was wrong. But um, <clears throat> so I just have spent a lot of my life feeling very alone. And uh, someone Instagram diagnosed me uh, a month ago uh, as having attachment issues. And uh, we might want to come back to that. That's kind of funny. But how that happened. Uh, <laughs> but um yeah, it's community. What I tell people is don't let the mushrooms confuse you. It's really mm. not about the mushrooms. It's about community, but it's about connection. And yes, oh my gosh, that sacrament can really help you 
connect and, and uh, it can be so helpful for a community, just like the beautiful mycelium. Mm-hmm. So our first ceremony, uh, there was a lot wrong with that, how we should have canceled it. It was cold, it was rainy. And, uh, you know, I, uh, people just really showing up, yo, hook me up, bro. And uh, uh, because I didn't have in place the right procedures and sure, here were mushrooms. They wanted to do mushrooms. And so that was a younger crowd and it was a, you know, hey, I need to score some shrooms. And um, that, that whole thing scared me, made me take some huge steps back that I do not, I'm not a drug dealer. I don't want to be a drug dealer and right. hook people up with mushrooms. This is completely not what I want. And so, um, you know, we, we don't give out the sacrament. Um, what I've kind of reached a point where I think the more that we do as a church, the more that the divine assembly formally does, the less people will do. So it's a platform and it makes it confusing and tricky for some folks. They're like, okay, when's an activity? And I'm like, okay, (laughs) well, here, here's some activity. When can I get the mushrooms? Well, you don't through us, but we do these non-sacrament activities, all sorts of gatherings come meet some people and mm-hmm. then, you know, you'll meet growers, you'll meet guides, you'll meet. And, um, what, what I, where I am is I think the best guide for newbies is someone who knows a fair amount and, uh, really loves them and will hold them. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of the OGs just want to eat me alive when I say that, but, um, if you're with someone who loves you and they've done mushrooms and, you know, they kind of know the space, they're going to they're gonna hold you better than someone with all the training in the world. And the reason I say that is because they know you, you know them, you're going to have your conversations are going to be more candid with them. And then also there's a natural follow up. I mean, so much what I see with these trained guides is, OK, well, good luck. Call us if there's anything. There might be a call in. I just think that the integration phase, the real integration, the holding just happens a lot better when people meet organically than even if they go to, you know, some, some fancy, wonderful retreat with super well-trained guides. I fucking love everything you're saying, honest to God. Uh, I mean, we're, we operate a little differently. We do provide sacrament. That's how we feel like is the best to manage the diversion issue and, and keep kind of some of those protections in place. But I totally understand why you do the, do it the way you do. And I think it's uh, completely valid. I also run into this issue where people are just looking for a hookup. And that is yeah. not what this is about at all. Um, and then this, this God, this is going to be, I think such an evolving conversation as psychedelics become more um, embedded into our culture is what you're talking about in terms of integration and the relationship that you have with the facilitator. Mm-hmm. I, I love this because even in the professional psychedelic world, like you're saying, integration is basically uh, a couple of phone calls or a couple of therapist sessions where you recount the experience. And what I understand as integration is your life practice post mushrooms. And that such a big part of that is the community that you're involved with. And so, yeah, if you're working with people that like 
they, they know you, they care about you. They want to see you grow and improve, not just because you're a client of theirs, but because they have a vested interest in your personal development, then everybody is invested more fully and everybody's going to get a greater return. So the, the concept of building the community before getting access to the sacrament is right in line with what we're, we're, we're doing. And we actually, you know, when we started the church, we kind of started with the retreats like we did in Jamaica, kind of, this is what we know, this is what we're going to do. Um, and we found pretty quickly that there's a, like there's definitely value to that and there's benefit to it, but there's kind of a, there's a disconnect that doesn't feel right. You know, we would have people come on retreat and they'd be, you know, involved with the church up until the retreat. And then after the retreat, they're like, okay, cool. I got mushrooms. I'm gone. And that's just not what we're trying to facilitate. Mm-hmm. You know? So what about the stigma? You guys, you know, being there in Utah, uh, I'm assuming, I don't know what the majority of your members, are they from in Utah? Uh, I'd say the majority, but we're kind of all over. Um, I said the other day that we have uh, members on every continent except Antarctic, Antarctica. And uh, someone sent me a message. He said, I'm going to be down there in February. He said, I'll represent. In Antarctica. <laughs> uh, but how, how do you all manage the stigma there locally, especially in such a Mormon dominant community? Are people just quiet about their membership or when have there been any issues? You know, uh, Salt Lake City especially is fascinating, and Utah is becoming more fascinating. It really is a situation of very dominant culture, which breeds strong counterculture. And so mm. um, Salt Lake City is is one of the gayest places in the nation, in the world. Really? It surprises you, right? It surprises yeah. a lot of people. So it's very progressive, and uh, the counterculture is alive and well in salt lake city so the rolling stone article uh, cassidy rosenblum the the writer she showed up and uh I, I, day one we'd been talking a lot on the phone but i wanted to wait till she got here to drop this bomb on her i said i think you're coming out to write a story about a has-been politician who took psychedelics and changed his mind i said that's a pretty boring story and so she was kind of pissed, and I said, but here's an amazing story. So I kind of laid out that in this weird soil of Salt Lake City where you have a dying, decaying regime, uh, Mormonism, out here we're, we're isolated in a lot of ways, culturally, socially, geographically, with COVID, and we're just kind of figuring out stuff on our own. And the OGs in the community in psychedelia, the ones who might tell people, no, don't do it that way, do it this way. Well, a lot of them are Mormons, ex-Mormons, where they pick up the vibe of, like me, they don't want to be told what to do, and they don't want to tell other people what to do. So <laughs> so when I started you know, becoming more public with Divine Assembly, I met a lot of the OGs. They're like, hey, you want to get coffee? And you know, I could tell that the question that... Some of them asked, but the others didn't quite dare ask. But they're like, what the hell are you doing? And are you going to screw this up for all of us? And, yep, yep. But, but it was a very gentle thing, you know, where 
<laughs> no, it was. Where no, I, I got it too, man. In Jamaica, people, yeah. you know, I would get, you know, reached out to by, you know, long-standing members in the community, and they had this yeah. same kind of prying, like, you know, who are you from Kentucky to come and fuck up yeah. the thing we've been trying to work on for however long, you know? But so, you know, the OGs out here are very hands-off, and uh, their guidance is is gentle and open. I mean, you know, like Divine Assembly, I'm like, do your thing. Just be safe. Don't hurt people, and um, be sincere about it. And um, that's kind of how they are with psychedelics. And so that just creates a place where there's so much experimentation going on. Um, you know, I'll tell you what's funny is I think that a group of ex-Mormons really is going to make a big impact on the United States, maybe even the world, in drugs and sex. <laughs> uh, you have, um, you just have some interesting, interesting things going on in those areas for people who have just been the answer to both those for so many people is no, mm. right? No, don't. Mm. And so now that no is no longer the answer, you have a bunch of adults uh, recalibrating and redefining some things. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's absolutely fascinating. So the stigma, yeah, among a bunch of active Mormons, it's like, okay, it's all this drug stuff. But there's a big enough crowd where, uh, you know, even, even people who aren't doing psychedelics are interested in it. I mean, I went down to my old stomping grounds. I, my Senate district was uh, southwestern Utah, very, very politically conservative. And so one of the most conservative parts of uh, southern Utah, I was going to speak to the Rotary. The Rotary Club, and I figured, all right, this is the president of the Rotary Club. He obviously has some interest in psychedelics. He's heard about them, whatever it is. He's out of touch with his membership. His, I'm going to go and talk to these people. They're, they're all going to be giving me the stink eye. And, uh, you know, former senator now leading a mushroom church. They're not going to like this at all. And I only got the stink eye from one guy there. Mm. Uh, he's a pretty prominent leader in the Mormon church down there. But, you know, even, even during the meeting, people just being very open open a therapist an md just talking about how wonderful they are and then afterwards people just kind of bearing testimony of experiences they had or that loved ones have had and so um you know the world has has massively changed in the last i think even just five years so mm -hmm. uh, I, I think you know it, it it's just going to be especially when the people in white lab coats when when we get this rescheduled and that won't take too long, uh, wow! It's that that meeting with the Rotary Club just tells me it's it's over. I mean, there's still a lot of work to do, but it's over. I mean, the the dam has broken. Are you looking for a community that allows you to authentically express and explore what it means to be human? One that honors the divinity within you and all life? Then Sanctuary may be just the community you have been looking for. Sanctuary is a faith-based organization centered around the sacrament of sacred mushrooms for spiritual exploration and personal development. You are invited to become a member and commune with us. Join us for a Sunday Zoom service or a weekend sacred mushroom retreat in the beautiful Kentucky countryside. Visit P-S-A-N-C-T-U-A-R-Y dot org 
to become a member and find more information. So talk about that rescheduling. You, you think that's on the horizon? That's one yeah. of the things that, I mean, what do you, how, what do you imagine being a timeline for something like that? Because it, to me, it seems like something that would take, you know, another 10 years. If cannabis is still schedule one, Cannabis, cannabis is the devil's lettuce, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, everything was thrown at at stigmatizing cannabis. So it's just the weirdest thing, even though it's legal in 33, 34 states to some degree, uh, there's still the stigma around it. And, uh, oh, it's just so sticky. So cannabis, people are like, can you start a cannabis church? I'm like, that's fraud. I, I think that's a loser. And they're like, well, that's more legal than I'm like, yeah, I'm just telling you. It's, it's Isn't that weird, it. though? Yeah. Isn't that, I've thought about that, too. And, and cannabis has a more visible religious history in modern Absolutely. times. You know, it's really kind of I was thinking about this yesterday. Matter of fact, we uh, in Kentucky, we're still fully illegal. But you can go get the Delta 8 and Delta 9 THC. It's like. When the fuck are we going to wake up and, and realize that the Franken cannabinoid? Yeah. Delta yeah. 8, but not. Well. It also speaks to this this dogma, which I, I love that this is a part, a big part of our conversation, uh, because dogma within the psychedelic community is is I think still very prominent. But the fact that anytime you create a law, you are inevitably going to create outlaws. That's just what's going to happen. So yeah. the more the more we try to clamp down on people's behavior, then the more they're going to squeeze out the cracks and behave in ways that are even more extreme. Like, what do you think is going to come out of this abortion ruling over the next year? You know, so what, what in terms of the dogma within the psychedelic community, you know, this is something that I have, um, I've experienced quite a bit and suspect that we will even more, uh, because it seems to me just logically that the psychedelic churches are going to be significant disruptors to the, established medical model around psychedelics. And I wonder how, how, how can, how can we, you know, work together to help benefit everyone without, you know, polarizing the two different perspectives? Yeah. Yeah. So you might have to pry me down off, off soapbox on this one. Um, (laughs) I might be trying to prod you up there. (laughs) So, so I teach at the university of Utah medical school. I teach health policy. Okay. And um, so these are very advanced students, uh, medical students, PhD students in public health. So you can really have some robust conversations. You're not going to scare that group. Um, you know, we've lost the ability to, t- to talk about a lot of things in academia, mm-hmm. which is kind of mm-hmm. a shame. But so with that group, um, I, of course, one of our classes is going to be on psychedelia. And uh, <laughs> I talk about how it, in the first time in human history, we can really talk about a cure for depression rather than just treatments for mm-hmm. depression. And uh, I say, what do we do as public health professionals? That's the division I teach in. Um, we, we're supposed to follow the evidence more than anyone else, right? I mean, evidence does not scare public health professionals. I mean, the essence of public health is piss and shit. I mean, you know, you separate people's piss and shit from their <laughs> drinking water. That's a great start in public health. I mean, you know, 
<laughs> we deal with worms. We do. We we deal with all the nasty things in humanity. Well, what do we do about the nastiest thing of all in academia? God. That mm-hmm. other than theology, well, I guess that you're you know religious schools. We we stripped God talk out of academia. Okay, when seventy percent of the people who are being cured of their depression want to immediately talk about God or the Mm -hmm. divine, Mm -hmm. what are we going to do as a profession that has trained ourselves? No, we don't want any God talk. Yeah. So this is fascinating. But to to get back to your earlier question about rescheduling, I think it's the Johns Hopkins work, uh, phase two, fast track. Um, I think it, you know, COVID, who knows what that's done to everyone's schedules. But I think uh, we'll look at 23, 2024. It'll be because schedule one, of course, means uh, that there's no uh, medical benefit. There's no beneficial Mm -hmm. use of this. And well, the first time they find through a study that there is, you have to reschedule. But but cannabis is still not rescheduled because they haven't found uh, they haven't officially found uh, <laughs> medical <laughs> benefit <laughs> or acknowledged <laughs> well acknowledge i mean it's just so ridiculous so do you know the name uh, dr sue sisley um no. <clears throat> she's just i just love sue she um is mostly out of arizona and she's been working to treat and study veterans with PTSD and cannabis. She's been trying forever, has had FDA approval, but the problem is you buy your weed from the DEA, so you get shit weed. They're not good growers. You you can just pluck anyone off the street in Humboldt County. They grow better than the government grows. So it's not, they haven't been giving research quality yields. So that's Mm -hmm. been... But now I see Sue, Dr. Sisley, she's uh, a licensed federal grower and can provide for studies. So um, she's just, Sue will not take no and hell no for an answer. She's just Mm -hmm. amazing. And uh, so now that she is becoming a provider, it seems to me, I only saw, you know, a little article on and research quality cannabis will be more widely available. Uh, maybe we'll start to see those medical benefits, which, oh my gosh, yeah, of course, they're legion. Anyone who uses that magical plant knows. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, so though I want to to keep going back to this this God in medicine. Uh, That is going to be such an important thing for us to explore. Oh, hey, before Mm -hmm. you do, can I, there was one thing I meant to say there. Sure. With the with the medicalization of uh, psilocybin, you know, this is something that my students know very well. We talk about this in all aspects of medicine. When something is medicalized, it means only a very limited part of the population receives it. And so this is why it can't just be medicalization of mm-hmm. psilocybin, because that mostly means that affluent white people will have access to it and the therapist and all the things that cost money. And right. this is a reason why it is so important that religion is there too, because religion is for the masses. Mm-hmm. And that is something that uh, uh, anyone, everyone can use it as a sacrament, use it to worship. Yes, yes. And I think there's an important tie-in to what's happening in Oregon as a precedent that we can, we can bridge from. And 
off of this kind of God in medicine topic, because that does seem, it seems to me that that's the inevitable direction that we'll go when the research shows that the mystical experience is, you know, a significant portion of the healing that's received out of psychedelics. Like you said, they come out of this wanting to talk about God in terms of their depression and their healing. So how, how are we going to be able to dove these two, tell, two together, dovetail these two together? Well, um, I think the medicine is going to happen. I mean, there's, there's like, like we were just discussing, it's still very difficult to study cannabis. It's getting easier and easier to study uh, psilocybin and other psychedelics because they didn't have all the stigma that was thrown at cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the way to dovetail them is you push, I push, a lot of other people push. Um, you know, religion in America, it receives a lot of protection, mm-hmm. um, contrary to what evangelicals and Mormons and others want to say, mm-hmm. uh, nothing other than abortion or anti-abortion, I should say, uh, receives the protection of religion. And so, um, religion is something that true religion, people have never asked permission it is something that is going on between an individual and the divine. And mm-hmm. so people push on that and don't ask for permission. You know, I'm sure you've had a lot of sleepless nights uh, going over the IRS criteria of what a church is, you know, those spiritual giants at the IRS and going over what the DEA will allow for religion <laughs> and um you know, okay, yes, maybe I could do this. No, this doesn't fit with my view of my communion with the divine. Sorry, IRS, you did not include a category where the my divine and I fit in. And so mm-hmm. um, it's, it's you're doing this at some peril. I'm doing this at some peril. Uh, our members are doing it at some peril. And I think that this is the medical stuff should happen and it's great it's great mm-hmm. when the people in white lab coats give the seal of approval mm-hmm. um religion is just you know people like you and me just pushing forward and trying our best making some mistakes learning and doing better well i love that you are pointing out the mistakes you made just like in that first ceremony you talked about and even in your past you know that's that's i think that is a telltale sign of a uh, of a leader worth looking to and, you know, probably like myself, you might not necessarily consider yourself a leader per se, because everyone is their own leader within this space, right? But it is important that those who are sticking their neck out there are setting the right example. You talked yeah. about the psychedelic gurus that have come up in Utah. And, you know, if there's anything that's actually given me a, a sleepless night, I think it's more so concern about that, that other people who maybe are attention seeking or looking for a workaround and maybe aren't the most sincere or are wanting to have some kind of, you know, um, uh, imbalanced power over others could really um, set a, a bad example for what a psychedelic religious practice looks like. Yeah, that is the thing that keeps me up most is um, psychedelics work to heal us, to connect us because they help get us in such a vulnerable state where we mm-hmm. are massively subject to 
ideas, impressions, and uh, well, those can be good, good or bad, right? And so if there's a guide there who really wants to insert himself, women do it too. It's mostly the shitty men. But um, where they want to insert themselves and become, you know, you see this so much that it's my guide, my guide, my guide. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's mm-hmm. probably the medicine, the medicine. Sarah and I were very fortunate. This Yelp shaman, this shaman that we got when we, our first two experiences, she was just dead set that it was all the medicine. She was just there mm-hmm. to help. Do, do we want her to sing? Do we want the smoke? Do we want the feathers and all that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, give me the works. And uh, <laughs> Sarah, she's over on the other side of the room. She's like, give me the medicine and please do your best to leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so that didn't offend this guide at all. And uh, then we came back to Utah and I found some, I was subject to some shamanic abuse and because uh, I didn't know. I'm like, okay, well, I guess this is just how it goes. This is, this feels wrong. My experience, this person doesn't deserve to be abused. This person doesn't deserve to be yelled at. And, I think this pendulum that he's swinging for answers, that feels like bullshit to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe this is the space. And, you know, then I just got deeper into, got into some better hands, and I realized, oh, no, those were just controlling assholes. They mm-hmm. were, they were, that was shamanic abuse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I went into this world thinking that psychedelics dismantled the ego and that, you know, the majority of people who were working with the medicine were, um, you know, had the, had the right intentions and, um, kind of best practices and which is to let the medicine do the work and get out of the way of it. And have sadly found that to not be the case. And, and even myself, there have been times when I have found like, Eric, get your fucking ego in check, buddy. This is not about you. You know, yeah. I have a big personality. I can't kind of, you know, can take up a lot of space if I'm not hyper aware of it. Uh, and I think that's something that's really crucial that we talk about as practitioners, if we're going to help people really get in touch with their self. Cause again, that is really what it's all about. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, so if, if a member of my church, your church were to uh, get a visit by the Popo, and uh, they were to be arrested for possessing psilocybin. Um, now, I, obviously, if they didn't want to bake a cake, provide flowers for a gay wedding, um, you know, they'd say religion, and cops would go, okay, God is hate. We get that. You know, <laughs> cool. We'll take your word for it. But right. they will really probe our churches. Are these really churches? Churches mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is the sacrament um, central to these religions? Then they'll also look to the individual member. Is this something sincere? Are these sincerely held religious beliefs, or is this person just trying to get around drug laws? What What do you do? What do you counsel your members? How do you direct your members in terms of showing their? I love what you're doing with the church. You know, I while back went through everything, you know, on, on the internet and all that. And I love what you're doing, but your members, what are they doing to show their, uh, that this is central to their beliefs? 
Oh, wow. Um, so one of the things that I have struggled with is wanting to create a non-dogmatic, non-hierarchical organization that still provides protection under the same or a similar format as the standard religious practices. And so in that we have, we, we, we make it known to our members that being a member of the church doesn't necessarily protect you from your personal possession. Now it, it, it very well could if you're particularly if you're in an RFRA state where, you know, that's upheld a little more uh, stringently then there is much more of a likelihood. And if you are a member who has been engaged with our community and we know that you're sincere, if you go to court, I got your back. I'm going to stand up and, and, and speak on your behalf. Um, we have a lot of events that are not sacrament related. Every Sunday we do our, so we're on like our 66th or something uh, Sunday service on Zoom. And, awesome. we and we record those, right? So that it's if, if anybody ever comes down and says you're not sincere, like if we're not sincere, then tell me why the fuck we're going every Sunday right. and having a two hour conversation about our experience with the sacrament, you know? Yeah. Um, so we really try to back up everything we can with as much evidence as possible if that day ever comes. And then what we're working on now, because we do want to provide uh, real time, real world protection for people where they are in their home. We just actually th this week just finished our first eight week cleric training course. And so oh, wow. everybody, yeah, so everybody's been through that cleric training course, um, you know, is well documented in, in their knowledge and sincerity and their personal practice. And they are also um, authorized by the church to be sitters under the church, right? Under the protection of the church. Okay. Those who um, have the desire and seem like really very sincere and good candidates for long time facilitator roles, we are launching our minister training program in September. So we will be able to ordain individuals after that. It's going to be a 10 month program because I really you know, my, my experience in the psychedelic space is that while the vast majority of these experiences are very manageable and the medicine does the work, there is a, you know, 10% outlier where, you know, some real, real uh, harm, harm reduction is required. Yeah. And, and, they, and need, I, they need someone with degrees and training and. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what the, the 10 month program is all about. And then, so for instance, we have, uh, set up an, an organization in Texas. We have a, a, a sanctuary in Texas, um, and there are a couple of folks down there who are likely going to be ministers. And then after their 10-month training in the ministership, they will be able to administer sacrament under the protection of the church. So whoever is there within their ceremony is fully protected. I'm, I'm trying to conceive of a way, and I do. I do have, I see it, I know that there's a way to do it, uh, and I've kind of got it all worked out on paper. Um, the, the, our, our board is, um, you know, maybe a little more cautious. I am uh, not risk averse whatsoever. Um, and they kind of 
you know, kind of keep the reins on me a little bit so that I'm not just like, you know, giving everybody the protection and permission, which is what I would ultimately, not everybody, but I would like to make, make it much, much more readily available. So as we get these first kind of maybe couple of years under our belt, where we are um, kind of passing the torch in a documented, um, kind of traceable way that we, okay, all these people, then there are some, some, programs i don't know if you if you're familiar with uh the designation of extraordinary ministership i'm not so within the christian faith there is a uh what's called the uh a, a extraordinary minister and where this comes into play is when the needs of the congregation exceed the capacity of the administration or of the ministry right clearly the needs of our congregation exceed the capabilities of our ministry. So it's within our uh, right to ordain anyone that's a member of our church as an extraordinary minister who could, like the the one stipulation that I would like to have over that in the immediate is that they can only self-administer. I think this is a route for um, end-of-life treatment. You know, I've worked with a lot of stage four cancer patients and people terminally ill and here in Louisville, we have already designated a couple of stage four patients as extraordinary ministers so that they can self-administer sacrament. And all we ask that they do is document what, how much and when they consumed and just a, um, a brief kind of synopsis of the experience. Because if anyone ever comes in on them, I want them to have documented proof that, you know, this is my sincere practice. Here's my diversion. I know that I've only used five grams out of the 50 grams that I have or whatever. You know, so I, I love I love this kind of game. I mean, it's, it, it is a game and it's not a game. I mean, I, this is very fucking serious. This has been my spiritual practice for a very long time, but it is a kind of a game figuring out how to use the existing model and apply it so that there's protection for this th- thing that otherwise, you know, could put you behind bars. Yeah. Well, it's. Yeah, and you know, again, if you're if you're making cakes, if you're uh, arranging flowers for weddings, you don't have to worry about it. You're just like, my God hates gay people. I I'm not going to do it. And in hey. courts, are like, okay, cool. We have to whatever you want to call it, a game or strategy. We can't. Yeah, we have to be thinking about the IRS. Mm-hmm. We have to be thinking about DEA. We have to be thinking about. Did, All the you, do you have any thoughts around um, requesting a CSA permit from the DEA? What have you been advised? There's or no such. There's approach? no such thing. <laughs> exactly right. There's no such thing. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's uh, I just think it's fraught. I mean, once you start that process, then have you created? They won't ever finish it. They won't right. ever grant you an exemption because they have no power to do so. You know. The two they've granted, well, they 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 lost court cases, right? Right. And so, yeah, beat their ass in court, and then then they'll give you an exemption. And so, I think even starting down that dead end process, well, then do they have a failure to exhaust administrative remedies claim mm-hmm. against you? No, we're we're in process, court. You can't address this yet. So, no, I I think that's there's nothing there. I think that's yeah. No, I agree. I agree, and it's 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 going to eventually be revealed as a, as just a big scare tactic, you know? Um, and we, we stated plain on our website, you know, 
we're, we are not applying for a permit to practice our religion and yeah. anybody that comes at us, you know, we're going to sue you for damages. You can also, you can, you know, you can sue the arresting officer for damages if you win in court. You know, so um, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting kind of landscape to be in. Have you, have you been involved at all within the, um, the organ movement? Yeah, you know, I've talked with some people. Um, they've called up wanting to discuss what we're doing. Do I have any thoughts on this or that? Um, God bless Oregon. I think it's wonderful uh, what they're doing. And, uh, you know, I assume you're talking about their bit about, so I forget the name of the individual. I've talked with him several times. Who's John kind of, Dennis, probably. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's clearly trying to do something right and good and helpful. So I, I try not to shit on people Mm. when I haven't done near the work he's done in Oregon, thinking about Oregon and all of that. Um, you know, I do have issues like you're saying, you're, you're not going to ask government for permission to practice religion. I'm not going to ask government. And so to some, to any degree that you say, if you do these 10 things, we will recognize you as a religion. Well, what if the divine and I, what if we don't fit your 10, your committee came up with 10 things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. represent all Judeo-Christian religions. And yes, some tweaks for entheogenic religions. I just don't think that there could be a list that fits. I mean, even, you know, you have, you're working on some clergy, some hierarchy and some teachings. And, you know, those are the things I'm sure in putting some of your things together, you've looked at the IRS indicia of this is a church. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you check a lot more boxes on that list than I do. Um, and again, that probably has to do with my religious background. Um, well, it probably has to do with my wife. <laughs> She, uh, her parents are both attorneys and she was arrested with me and she is not interested in being arrested again. Yeah. And you've been clipped. I haven't. So, uh, you wore the jumpsuit. I haven't. And, uh, that might have something to do with it, but, um, yeah, it's just, it would, that is now it seems like the Supreme court is just gutting the concept more and more, but, the First Amendment says that we do not have the establishment of religion. Mm-hmm. Well, to the degree government says these are the things that we will recognize in religion, well, they're establishing a religion. Mm-hmm. Ones mm-hmm. that meet these criteria, check. These, no matter how sincere you are, no matter how unique and innovative they are. I mean, you know, I look at what we're doing, and uh, we would have, we would, we would have a tough time in court on some of these things. Why don't you have a hierarchy? Why don't you, how can you do this as a religion? Well, religion is dying in this country mm-hmm. and people want to customize everything. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think a religion based on personal revelation, personal communion, what could be more religious than that? And also I think it just fits our times really well. Yes. Now what, what, what I tell my members and I'd, bet, you know, nine out of 10 don't do it is, um, the, if you're arrested, you're going to do time, not me. And so you're the one risking this. So what I see, what I do, what I suggest to members is 
if you're just sitting, you know, there being being persecuted, prosecuted, um, man, that's scary. Rather than prosecute you, let them prosecute your religious code. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I have a rather extensive document saying, these are the things I used to do. And I, you know, I honor the, that person who got me to this place. He was trying his best, but I'm not particularly proud of these things. I don't think they're healthy. I don't think they're good for me, other people. So I won't do these things anymore. You know, and I, I point out that all of this comes through communions with the divine. Mm. And this is what the divine and I have worked out. Um, these are things that I haven't been doing, but I sure do think they'd be good for me and others for the universe. So I'm going to do these things. And here's how I might do them. Here's how I won't do them. So if I'm ever prosecuted, uh, that will come in and there are going to be people in that jury box going hats off, brother. Appreciate Mm. you. Appreciate your attempts on this. It sounds like you're much better off. Now people around you are better off for your journey than they were mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. you found this sacrament. And uh, no fucking way am I going to go to prison with with, mm-hmm. with that list. Mm-hmm. We'll mm-hmm. see. Now you flash forward in the movie where I'm doing life in prison. <laughs> well, you certainly have put your neck out there, but I, I don't know. I think that, like you said, the times are changing. We have substantial enough historical and personal evidence that this is and even medical evidence that this is a spiritual experience. And so it's going to be hard to take that away from it, I do believe. And I think that we're going to see the the therapeutic medical community converting in many ways to a some form of spirituality. Yeah. And I, I mean, I perceive spirituality as an energetic experience. I perceive it more so as a, as a quantum kind of experience than a, um, I'm okay with the word mystical, um, but certainly more than a psychological experience. You know, my relationship with my creator is not, yeah, it's, it's not a psychological thing. It's a energetic, intangible, almost experience well it's it's like with my my medical my bright medical phd students what do we do when the people who are being cured are talking about spirituality and religion Mm -hmm. we assume oh they're just making shit up we're not supposed to do that well i mean that's where i think the quantum sciences uh physics is actually going to become a support here um you know in working with the sacrament and working with individuals in that space. Um, you know, I have never, and don't believe I ever would call myself a shaman per se, you know, but I certainly have experienced phenomena that the only description, the only understanding I've been able to find is through these abstract sciences, you know, um, and it's, it's again, it's stuff that's really hard to put into words. But, you know, when you have an experience with someone and then for the next three months, you find yourself psychically communicating with them at a distance. Is that quantum entanglement? It sure seems like it to me. Yeah. You know, uh, the experiences of, you know, shamanic cultures uh, purging for the people that they are working for and having experienced that myself. 
my understanding of that has been a transfer of electromagnetic energy, not some kind of psychic experience, but a very real science-based provable phenomena that we just are only beginning to develop the ability to, to measure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I take it on a more simple level, even um, if people get into psychedelics, if they go to, you know, one of our churches and they just, their life improves, their attitude improves, their mental health improves the way that they treat other people and expect to be treated improves at, at some point that becomes evidence. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's really what it, all, all that abstract stuff is. It's interesting to explore, but what really matters is the personal improvement that individuals get from the experience and the community. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's where I, again, like just kind of to touch on Oregon, because I do think that it's important, um, it's, there's value in us chiming in on this because what Oregon has done and John Dennis has done amazing work. He's really done a lot to try to move forward the religious um, uh, uh, perspective there around psychedelics and civil seven in particular. But, you know, Oregon basically ruled that the religious practice has to be treated like a therapeutic practice. So it's going to cost around a quarter million dollars for a church to open in Oregon, which is, baffling to me that the more progressive states you know that's one of the greatest ironies here in kentucky as one of these very hyper conservative states that we are actually the ones who are more protected to approach this through a sincere religious practice than the more um progressive or liberal states it's just kind of what's a an oxymoron you know yeah well and it's interesting i think it's no coincidence that divine assembly um, was birthed in Utah, is doing well being based in Utah. Utah is is largely run by weird-ass religion that doesn't <laughs> want government taking a close look at it. Right. And so to any extent government takes a close look at my religion, well, that sets precedent. All right, government, take a close look at that other big mm-hmm. religion uh, right, right up the street sitting on a mountain of money. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been saying that about the Catholic Church and people talk about, and am, I, am I afraid or, you know, the legal repercussions. And I'm like, it's like the Catholic Church has been raping little boys for how long and just shuffling priests around, you know, with yeah. with almost no repercussions. So I dare somebody to come talk to me about my mushroom use that I do in the quiet of my home where I don't bother anybody else, you know. Yeah. But how do, how do how do we keep these these psychedelic religions or the spiritual practice around psychedelics, how do we help prevent that from becoming in 50 years or a hundred years more of the same kind of cultish dogmatic um, practice? I, we, we have, we have one, well, we have multiple ex Mormons as members of our church, but one in particular has, who is suing the Mormon church has told me that uh, he is going to send me an extensive document on how, not to become a cult. And I want to take that to heart because I would love to see sanctuary last for a hundred or 500 years. Yeah. Introduce me to that person. I if, if, Since that person has taken a good look at it, I'd like that person to look at what I'm doing. Um, okay. In divine assembly. So what we're doing is uh, it is a platform for individualized worship. 
And people can worship on that platform however they want, as long as they're safe and sincere. But their dogma, their findings, their communities, they don't apply to anyone else. And that includes me. And so um, no one can really speak for the divine assembly in that, you know, we believe this other than the one tenet and, uh, uh, you know, a member of divine assembly has to do this, can't do that. So that's, that's where, again, it could present us problems in a courtroom because it is, it lacks the, the, the bureaucracy, uh, the intermediaries that, that courts typically are looking for in religion. Well, who stands between the worshiper and God? Someone has to stand and thus no one does. And that's our attempt is just as we created it, just making it to where um, no one should stand on that platform and tell others what to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, given that looseness, yeah, if someone stands on the, we don't certify, we don't decertify. Mm-hmm. I think that certification, it creates problems because people mm-hmm. let their guard down. Okay, well, this person certified by the church must be safe. And mm-hmm. so often we see that mm-hmm. people are not safe. So if we don't certify, we can't decertify. Well, what do we do when someone's up on the platform saying, I have received a vision, everyone in the divine assembly, this is what you should do. Uh, what do we do? <laughs> I don't know. That I'll end that with a question because I don't have the answer. What do we do? Right. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the exciting thing about where we're at here is exploring so much new territory. Um, and these are questions that you know we consider as well. I, I agree that um, licensure certifications give can give a false sense of security. Um, and can provide a uh, false sense of authority for people to, you know, run 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 rampant with that. And uh, that's probably my biggest question that I don't have an answer to is, like, let's just assume the sanctuary lasts until I'm dead and gone. Then how do we prevent it from becoming just another whatever Catholic church or, you know, I think that what you're saying around this, maintaining this direct experience is like, that's central, but even within that as an organization, I think there's a potential for hijacking. I mean, that's what happened with all the religions, right? Jesus was not a cult leader, yeah. you know, but there are how many cults based (laughs) off of him? You know, I would love this conversation. I'm really enjoying, I think it would be fun. You know, let's pull together, 10, 20, 30, you know, a weekend or something and just talk about these issues because mm-hmm. we've read the same documents, we've read the same court cases, the the same directives and uh, are coming up with different approaches. It would really be nice to sit down and compare notes, a bunch of us. No, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Do you know of any other psilocybin churches that are maybe not as public who are... are- trying to gain momentum right now. I, I know of a couple who are very small, low key underground, but yeah, to see a, you know, a, almost a convention of, yeah. of sacred mushroom practitioners would be amazing. 
So let me point out my I didn't bring a cord and my battery's low, so if we cut off then the divine no wanted us to end, uh, <laughs> um yeah, I do. I mean part of the OGs that I'm saying in this area, uh there are a lot of churches, if you want to call them that, and sometimes they call themselves that, that have been operating for a while, are operating underground. And uh, they have their own beliefs and practices, safety protocols. And, uh, um, you know, what? It, it'd just be fun to kind of organize. And, and to destigmatize, it would help to point out there are hundreds, thousands of entheogenic churches. I think that would be very valuable uh, to print to bring yeah, that out. Go ahead. No, I was going to say I'd be more than happy to try to uh, figure out how we co- could coordinate something like that. You know, I'll tell you what's interesting. Just this past week, I think the attention of our revival festival, we do a three-day festival every year, and um, the Rolling Stone article uh, just last week popped up. Divine Assembly of Tennessee, Divine Assembly of Texas, and I don't really know who's doing it. And so I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, because that's what I've said is here's a platform, build on it. Yeah. And I like, I like the creativity of the masses, but part of me is like, oh, shit, what if this is culty? What if this is this or that? And so, um, you know, my take is I just – I kind of want to see where it goes. And so I view the divine assembly more than like the Baptist church, Presbyterian church, whatever. I do kind of consider maybe on the level of a religion Mm -hmm. built upon the idea of individuals commune with the divine, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. that's how every religion has started, right? Is Mm -hmm. one person communes with the divine. Then they say, you got to do exactly what the divine told me. And so, you know, TDA members, I think, have as much power as founders of other religions. They have the freedom to really commune and receive guidance and direction. And I kind of think that's where I want to be is even though it makes me nervous, what what will people build on this platform? No, it is. It's amazing to think what could come out of it, you know, with sincere, um, conscientious practitioners. But, yeah, I can totally that, that's kind of the, the thing that I have has caused me the most reservation is just not knowing what other people would do with this thing and knowing that I have absolutely seen, you know, individuals in the therapeutic world who um, are, have ill intent and want to use this as a way to gain popularity or, you know, be the next cool guy, you know, and I'm so fucking, I, I resisted being a public presence for, for my farm, I had a mushroom farm in 2009 and it was, you know, it's pretty well known in tri-state area. And I did everything I could to keep my face out of it. And I did that for a long time with Maiko. And then it was kind of like, was inevitable that you get pushed to the front. And so a sanctuary, I am grateful that we already have such a growing group of folks who can be representatives of the church because that's what this is. A, again, it's a community. That's where the healing is. That's who it is. But man, you introduce a lot more variables when you start putting it in the hands of, you know, anybody else. Yeah. And so, you know, the uh, the name is starting to, you know, Divine Assembly TDA, it is starting to gain some traction out there. And so for anyone to grab it and say, I am TDA in this area, uh, you know, uh, it's it's nerve wracking, but 
if I really say we don't have hierarchy, well, then I can't. Yeah. I don't get to say yeah. not you. You. Yeah. We yeah. don't. We don't certify, but not you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm interested in how you're approaching harm reduction and dosing. Uh, you know, there when you've got people who are maybe in Tennessee or whatever, and you know, you can't be any kind of oversight over how they're taking care of people or how they're uh, dosing themselves or others. Like, do you provide advice around that or? Yeah. You, you know, you look at our website and does anyone read a website, but we have extensive um, language on safety, Mm -hmm. you know, on legal safety. So I think our verbiage is good. Um, Mm -hmm. Do people follow it? You know, some yes, some no. Uh, what we try to get out there again is know the people who you're journeying with because, mm-hmm. you know, anyone can call themselves a guide. And, uh, so where we increasingly are pushing people, trying to get them to go is do these, do the sacrament with people, you know, really well, who you trust outside of the medicine arena, because mm-hmm. I've just seen too many well-trained guides who, they're, they're dangerous. They're scary mm-hmm. because it becomes about them, about the control. So we're just trying to do it through messaging, just saying mm-hmm. you are on, take care of yourself, mm-hmm. look out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Safety mm-hmm. is your responsibility. Um, you know, again, I think with the priests, with other folks, it's like people wave safety. They don't, they get a little yeah. Yeah. loose and, and they get hurt. And so, we're just telling people, do it with people you know. Um, watch out for yourself. If something feels wrong, it probably is wrong. If there's any kind of non-consensual touching, report that to the police. We don't want predators. There are predators out in the psychedelic space, and here's how you go after them and shut them down. So we're trying to do it that way through guidance and suggestions and um you know, I just, I do lose sleep thinking, is this, is this the right way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I lose, I lose sleep training people and the, there being a level of responsibility that traces back to me for how people perform, you know, when, like you said, and I think there is an enormous value in highlighting this, that everyone's safety is their own responsibility. And if you're going into a situation blind or naive, that 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 is on you ultimately. Yes, the practitioner should be, you know, their behavior is their responsibility as well, and everybody should be held accountable for that. But there is a, I think there's a tendency, particularly in the world where with the certifications to uh, take the onus off of the individual who has put themselves in a situation. You know, yeah. and we see that society wide, you know, the lawsuits for every fucking hot coffee and all the, all the stuff, you know? So I yeah. appreciate that you're really putting that responsibility back into the hands of the, the, the member themselves. It, 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 it does make sense to me. What I would love is I, you know, again, we talked about getting together a few of us. I would love to just be in the hot seat with 10, 20 people who have really thought this through, just pressing me. What about this? What about mm-hmm. this? What about this situation? Um, I don't. My know. wife would be good at that. Courtney would be good at that. <laughs> Let's do it because you know I don't. This is our best effort, and uh-huh. I don't know if it is the best effort. And I'm sure we will learn and progress. And mm-hmm. I'd rather 
do it being pressed by people of goodwill beforehand mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, learning mm -hmm. through tragedies and, and bad experiences. Of for sure. For sure. No, I appreciate that from go. I mean, you've already shown yourself willing to acknowledge uh, the areas that need improvement, mistakes that are made. That's also been something I have been try I've tried to be very upfront about. And uh, yeah, I think that's what builds trust and helps really keep people accountable and safe. So um, let's, let's see what we can do in, in terms of scheduling this uh, little mini summit. And then, you know, a couple of years from now, who knows what it looked like. I mean, we are calling our training program a seminary. And that's what I hope to see you as we eventually have our own private property that we're working from instead of doing leasing Airbnbs and whatnot. I want to see a situation where people can come in, you know, multiple times a year and train and experience and learn from each other. Just a, just a, a university of applied psychedelic knowledge and experience. I, I, I keep calling it the, uh, the Hogwarts of psilocybin. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, and maybe we, maybe we look at some interfaith since you have that going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. I'm all for it. <clears throat> I, that's, this excites me so much to think about the collaboration that can occur. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, like Maiko, this for-profit thing, there was always this, we're on the island of Jamaica. Oh, here comes Silo Wellness. Oh, here comes uh, Compass or here comes whatever company coming in, going to take the market share. Fuck that. That's not what psychedelics are about. It's about collaboration, cooperation, and community. That's where the healing comes from. That's where the growth and progress comes from. Yeah, I just can't see Divine Assembly getting to that level of formality in terms of training guys mm -hmm. and ministers. But we clearly have people who are looking for it. They're like, come on, Steve. We, we got to in in. That'd be wonderful to have some interfaith thing where I can say, oh, man, Eric and Sanctuary, they're doing this. And, you know, it's it's great. We've heard great reports. Go go check that out. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I'd be happy to share with you our training materials and everything. We're all about transparency. We're going to be financially transparent. Everything is going to be available to the public. You know, so. All right. Well, we are at an hour and a half right about. Your computer is about ready to go out, so I don't want to. It is. I'm looking at that diminishing. <laughs> Steve, it's been a real pleasure, man. And I look forward to ongoing communication in any way that we can be of, of help and service to your community. We are very happy to do so. All right. Thank you. Blessings, brother. Good conversation. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Till next time. In the beating of the drum.